Hey, uh, as we go forward, something that you'll see periodically, and, and I know it's going to show up a couple of times today. So if you can give me my first slide, please, Anderson. Uh, you'll notice one more. You, you probably see it all the time, but, it, but it's on the end here at the bottom. I, I like to put references up so you can go back and find these things later and so that you can go and, and check it. And, and most importantly, you can read things in context. Never just sort of say, hey, that's the whole thing. Like, I have to, I have to shorten things down, right? But everything is better in context. But what I wanted to draw your attention to specifically was the three letters at the bottom, the NLT. So today you're going to see NLT and NIV, and those are abbreviations of different translations. And I use different translations periodically uh, because I think one says stuff more clearly um, or it, it highlights a word that I think is helpful for us. Um, we, we could have a long discussion someday about why we have different translations and what they do and what they're good for. Um, we're not going to do that today, but I just wanted to let you know that's going to come up. You'll see that on the bottom. So if you're trying to follow along in your Bible, um, I'm going to move between translations today, and I'm just marking it up there. And that's what we do kind of on an ongoing basis when I use different translations. But just so you know, that's what's there. Um, and different translations are good for different things. So anyway, uh, Colossians 3. Uh, if, if you've been here for the last couple of weeks, you kind of know where this is going because we started with this basically every week. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights. And that's what we've been talking about. That's what this whole series has really been in, in heaven, setting your sights, putting your focus, going eyes up, eyes from down here, lifting them up. We're choosing to focus. And, and quite often we say we focus on Jesus, but in this specific case, we're, we're looking how to shape our whole lives. And by, by doing that, we, we set our sights. That's how we set our goal. That's how we go in the right direction because we're focused on the right thing. So we're going to set our sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits, in the place of honor at God's right hand. Verse 2, think about heaven not the things of the earth. There is something that has been promised to us in the age to come. Set your sights on that reality. In the right now, in this life, in this age, set your sights on what is to come. And over the past episodes, we have looked at and mentioned some of the realities of heaven. So here's a, a, a refresher. Uh, so if you've been following along for each episode, you'll find these familiar. No doubt you'll be able to say them with me. If you, were, if you haven't been here, this is sort of your cheat sheet reminder. Uh, we're going to refer to these things throughout the day. And so these come from three different conversations that Jesus had where He uh, described heaven and our relationship with heaven. He said that heaven is now in another place. That's the heaven that we go to when we die during this age. Heaven is here, but at another time. That's the future, eternal heaven. And heaven is also here and now in another way. And we talked about this one in episode 
No, last episode. It's when we live out the values of heaven in the here and the now. People, and in, that includes you, experience glimmers of heaven on earth. And as Jesus is having these uh, conversations, He is talking about this age and the age to come. And we talked uh, at least a bit about heaven now, but in another place. We talked about that a little bit in episode one. We talked about heaven here and now in another way. That was episode two. Now it's all about heaven here, but at another time. Okay, so we're talking about the future heaven, where the heavens and the earth become one. What do we know about the age to come? What, what do the Scriptures teach us? What do they reveal to us? Where, where will we be spending eternity? What will that place, that heaven, be like? What can we expect? So realistically, this is going to be tough, all right? Because we've got eternity to cover, and you don't have eternity to give me. Uh, it's going to take some time. So I'm going to try and make it really practical. So this is not going to be a day where I say, just close your eyes and dream with me. That's not what we're going to do. We're going to set our sights together on heaven. What we look forward to, we live toward. So I want to build something with you that we can live towards, that we can set our sights on, fix our gaze in that direction. So we're going to jump in with Paul into the letter that's probably the first letter that he wrote. Um, well, it's at least the first letter that he wrote that we have copies of. Like, I'm sure he sent one to his mom at some point, but we don't have that one. This is probably the earliest New Testament manuscript. The Apostle Paul is writing from Corinth, where he is at that point, to the people that he met when he founded the church in Thessalonica. This letter is dated about 50 A.D., so historically speaking, very near in time, to both the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. To, to write this letter to the people in 50 A.D. means that he also had to go and visit them and plant the church before that. So this is all in a very tight timeline to actual events that he's speaking about, also reminding us that these beliefs about Jesus um, were not developed hundreds of years later, as some people say, but they were right there, right from the beginning, of those who followed Jesus. So lots of people would still be alive who knew people who had been with Jesus. Many people would still be alive who had seen Him resurrected and walking about. So Timothy, uh, Paul's compadre, he has just returned to Paul, giving him an update on how the church is faring over this last little bit. And this is Paul's response to Timothy's report. And part of that report makes it clear that some of these new believers, are, they've now lost sight of heaven. Enough time has passed that some of these folks, they're starting to see family members die just sort of in the natural course of life, and they're trying to figure out what's going on. Maybe they have thoughts like you have. Paul, you told us that Jesus was coming back. You told us He was going to establish His kingdom, but, but we have friends and family that are dying, so what's going on? I thought you said. What about? So Paul's trying to calm them down a little bit and remind them, hey, you remember when I was there? We talked about this. Let me just refresh your memory. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 is where we're going to jump. And now, and now, dear brothers and sisters, because a little bit of head shake in there, we want you to know uh, what, what will happen 
to the believers who died. And in Greek, that would be those who have fallen asleep. So you will not grieve like people who have no hope. This is one of the greatest gifts that we have been given, that we can live out in the everyday world in a practical way. This is a freedom uh, that we have in the faith that we have been given to be able to process death with an extra bit of information, with an extra bit of assurance. We have a hope. And I want you to remember, and please don't ever forget, put your mind on hope. Set your sights on heaven. And by doing that, remind yourself, but because we're a community, remind each other of the hope that we share together in Christ. 14, for since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with Him the believers who have died. This is important. This is part of the core beliefs of Christianity. So I want to pause here for a second in the heaven conversation just to to look at this. The first of these core beliefs is that there is a bodily resurrection of Jesus. Core belief. This changed and continues to change everything. It is ha. Easter is coming, and that's when we celebrate this specifically, but it's an everyday kind of celebration, that this is pretty much the biggest deal that there is in Christianity. Everything hangs on this one. If not this, then the rest is just some nice thoughts and perhaps some misleading ideas. If there is no resurrection of Jesus, there is no Christianity. The resurrection is what triggered and ultimately brought us these these teachings and the full collected works of Scripture that eventually got bound together into a single volume that we refer to as the Bible. It is rooted in history. It is rooted in how the world was changed in response to the resurrection of Jesus. Because He was resurrected, look at all that happened. The next core belief is the bodily resurrection of all believers. This is what the Apostle Paul is reminding his friends, the Thessalonians, about. Not everyone gets that these two core beliefs are co-related. Jesus was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. He proved that He can not only conquer sin on our behalf, but death. The effect of sin is death. Sin leads to death. The wages of sin is death. It brings death about. And Jesus conquered sin, and then He conquered death in Himself, for Himself. But by doing that, He broke that system. That pathway of sin leading to death has now been broken. Jesus conquered our sin and our death. There will be a bodily resurrection for us also. Core belief. In a different letter, to a different church, this one in Corinth, Paul reminds the people of what our hope and what our beliefs are. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 42, it is the same way with the resurrection of the dead. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they will be raised to live forever. 43, Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. 
They are buried in weakness, but they will be raised in strength. This is great news. You know, some of you right now, you're in your prime. Some of you are aware of the growing aches and pains, the decreases in sight and hearing. Let's be honest, your pole vaulting days are behind you. And unlike in the modern world today, the hope of a physical resurrection, this was an incredibly powerful thing amongst the first century followers of Jesus. It was a hope over and above what just happens to you when you die. They had more hope in the future eternal heaven than the present heaven. The release from pain and brokenness in the present heaven is a huge thing. To be together with God, and it's fantastic in the way that we could say it is one of the most unbelievable things in the world, but it is not our ultimate hope. Leaving this present earth for the present heaven is better, but the ultimate hope of a believer in the future, is the, in, in the future eternal heaven is even better than that. And that's what the Apostle Paul is trying to establish. Now, when you take a look into the book of Revelation, we can find about uh, 18 characteristics of heaven that uh, Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, originally prophesied about, and he wrote about eight or 900 years before John was writing it down. Isaiah not only predicted some things about the future heaven, but he predicted a bunch of things about the Messiah, more than 20 different specific predictions that will identify the Messiah. And Isaiah's track record has been really, really good so far. God gives John a picture, gives him a vision or, or maybe a series of visions about heaven. God wants to give John a picture of heaven because John, you know, just like the other believers at that time, they're struggling with what's going on. Things are not going well on earth. And, and so collectively, collectively they're saying, and how long are you going to allow this to happen for? This is the picture John saw. Revelation chapter 21, starting at verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old earth, the old heaven had passed away. They had disappeared. Episode 1. If you can recall, we talked about this age and the age to come. Uh, th th this is the beginning. This is the, the, the joining mark of when those two ages come together, the present uh, earth and the present heaven. They have disappeared. They have passed away. And now, in the age to come, there is a new earth and a new heaven. Um, it, is, it is not a new location. It's not about trying to somehow get us serious about habitating on, on Mars, okay? There, there are new, uh, this is a new earth. It has characteristics of this earth. And, and it wasn't just a new earth. It was a new earth that had a new heaven attached to it. And I don't know exactly what that looks like or how that happens, but that's what John saw. That's what he's trying to describe for us. It was all visible, there was a coming together of heaven and earth, and this new heaven and this new earth, and he's, he's just getting ready to reference something that we haven't talked about yet in this series. We started with the Hebrew understanding of time. Remember, there's this age, and then there is the age to come. We are living in this age, but John is about to reference here a prior age. He's going to compare and contrast these three different ages in chapters 21 and 22. We're just going to hit the highlights, 
And you're going to have to read all the detail on your own time. Maybe get together with somebody else, read, discuss, talk, have coffee, have tea. It'll be wonderful. But you'll have to get the details yourself. We're skipping down Revelation 21 now, verse 10. So he took me in the Spirit to a great high mountain, and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Remember, we talked about heaven being this future place, this future heaven, right? Jesus, when He was on earth, He said, I got to go, guys. I got to go and prepare a place for you. This is the place we're talking about now that Jesus said He was going to go and prepare. So John gets the vision because God wants to bring him and to show him what's going to happen. I know things are tough, John. Let me show you how this goes. John chooses to describe it like a city, and he uses very earthy terms. When you read it, you'll see that. Foundations and walls and gates and streets, all stuff that's very much part of first century Hebrew versions of what cities look like. And everybody could relate. John seems to be trying to communicate that this is a place that seems familiar, right? Better than the places that are here, but this holy city, this perfect city, it's similar. <coughs> it's very much like our cities, and it's descending down. The new heaven and the new earth that John saw are recreated. It, it wasn't a completely different thing. In the prior age, prior to the fall of humanity, prior to sin entering the world, you don't remember this prior age, right? Because you weren't there. But this is the story that happened in Genesis 1 and 2, the prior age. We just got a very small amount of information about it. We don't know how long it lasted, but when God created everything, He had it just the way that He wanted it. And then, with our help, sin entered the world, and death entered the world, and that sin began to corrupt and affect all sorts of things. In the prior age, God had creation exactly the way He wanted. Then we got our hands on it, and we are now in this age, the current age. And His focus is no longer on creating. His focus is now on redemption, redeeming people, redeeming the world, and then recreating this world. And He's doing all of that simultaneously in this age. He's redeeming people, but He's also recreating this world. In the age to come, that recreated world will join us. Revelation 21, 23, and the city has no need of sun or moon, for the glory of God illuminates the city, and the Lamb is its light. Now, the Lamb is a reference to Jesus, who we find out through the Scriptures. He was, and He is, and He is to come. Was, is, is to come. He's the eternal King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He spans all of these ages. And the world becomes illuminated. I don't know what that all means or how it all works, or how we're going to feel about that, what's going to happen for us. But in the Gospel of John, he refers to Jesus as the Word. So in the prior age, we go back to John 1.1. In the beginning, in the prior age, was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 2, 
He was with God in the beginning. Three, through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. Four, in Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Five, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. He gave life and light to the world. Then in this current age, John 1.14, the Word, Jesus, became flesh, and He made His dwelling among us. And we, John's talking like me and my friends, we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace, full of grace and truth, not just part measures, but full of them. He became the light for people. He led us to life. Then in Revelation, we get the age to come. Jesus will be the eternal light, the eternal light that will never go out. And it's actually His presence with us forever. John continues back, uh, Revelation 22, verse 1. Then the angel, he showed me this river uh, of, of the water of life. It's as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. So we are told that after his death and resurrection, that Jesus ascended into heaven to go sit at the right hand of God the Father. He went to go and prepare the place for us. So flowing from him is this river flowing with the water of life, purity. So clear, it's perfectly clear. Once again, Jesus is the source of light and life. Verse 2, down the middle of the great street of the city, on each side of the river stood the tree of life. On each side stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Verse 3, no longer will there be any curse. The picture John is showing us spans time again. So here he references again that prior age, and he gives us images from Eden, the Garden of Eden. And the people that John was writing to would be super familiar with the, Hebrews, uh, the Hebrew story of creation and what the, what the Garden of Eden was like. So those images of rivers uh, and trees and fruit and the throne, they're all images of Eden. And basically what he's saying is that in the beginning, God had things the way that He wanted them, and He blessed it, and He said it was good. He made it, lit it, looked around, blessed it, and He said that it was good. He said that it was all good. Then we're told our part of the story, a curse came. The world became cursed by sin. That's the current age. But in the age to come, the curse will finally be removed. Jesus breaks the curse. It's removed at the uh, next age. So in this life, in this current age, we're still dealing with the curse. It's been broken, but its effects have not been removed. And in the new heaven and the new earth, there will be no longer a trace of any curse. Now, to those of you who are a little bit more literary-minded, maybe you've noticed this already, there is poetry here, there is imagery, there is symbolism, and in each of the different ages that we've looked at, you know, the prior age, the current age, 
and in the age to come, there are trees, two trees that represent something significant. In the garden story, in the prior age, there are two trees. There is the tree of life, and what was that other one? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And there was a choice between the trees, and that single choice led from life as good and perfect, just as God made it. It was all good to the introduction of sin, and sin leads to death. That got introduced into our world. A single life choice led to brokenness, death, and chaos in our world. Then in the current age, God is focused on redemption, and Jesus came to to become light. The curse of sin is broken as a single man made a single choice of death to bring us life. Humanity looked at the tree of the knowledge of the good and evil, and in doing that and taking that, they brought death into the world. That was humanity's choice. But Jesus chose to hang Himself on another tree to be cursed. He chose to give you and to give me life by Him choosing death. And in the age to come, when the curse is broken and removed, John refers to two trees in the eternal heaven. Both of the trees, are, they're on either side of the river. They're both trees of life because heaven is characterized by eternal, everlasting, thriving, fullness, abundant life. And it flows from the throne of God into our lives. It's, it's a recreation of earth where we all experience what we've been designed to experience, what we were made for. Every longing that you have ever ached with becomes satisfied in the future eternal heaven from the life that is flowing from the throne, flowing from these trees. All of the world is groaning for this. In Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul, he says it this way, starting in verse 19, for all creation is waiting eagerly for that day when God will reveal who His children really are. When He returns and He raises those who have died back to life and He raises those who have placed their faith in Him. Verse 20, against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse But with eager hope, 21, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join with God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. All of creation is setting its sights on heaven and the glorious recreation, the redemption of all things. Verse 22, for we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth, right up even to this present time. 23, and we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as His adopted children, including the new bodies He has promised us. So summary here, there will be a new earth. The promise is not for a non-earth. 
And this is where we get ourselves into a little bit of trouble sometimes. We fall back on our flawed view of heaven. We're thinking of fairyland, right? A castle in the sky, up in the clouds, big, nice, fancy gate, streets made of gold, mansions. Oh, so many mansions, right? But John, to us, he kind of lifts up his hand, he shakes it, and he goes, no, 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 no. It's not a non-earth. It's a new earth. And everything that you can think of that's good in this world, being redeemed, being recreated, thrilling, pleasurable, meaningful, filled with deep, ongoing satisfaction. The eternal heaven fulfills it all. Anything good that we experience here on earth is a mere shadow, just a taste of. It's a hint of what's to come. So let me make that problem personal, right? Take a look at this photo, all right? so beautiful. I love this place, all right? In general, I love going swimming, and I've gone swimming all over the world. <laughs> I've swum in all kinds of different places, but this, this is my favorite place to swim. It is beautiful. The water is great. Check out the next photo. What you see there, that white splash, that's my feet just my feet disappearing under. And just, just looking at these, it brings back the memories. It fills me with delight. I, w- I was so giddy that day, I couldn't stop or wait. I just had to go in. I was on vacation, so I was living it up. Check out the next photo. Here, I'm, I'm just coming up for air. I've been out snorkeling. The water is so clear. It's so pure, and it just flows and swirls. And every time the sun hits it, it's beautiful. And I, and I love experiencing, uh, exploring all along those limestone rocks because there's so much to see, and it's so easy to see. It's clear down to like 40 feet. I just loved being there, swimming there, going there. Next picture. And Cheryl was so excited for me. She, she does that really well, okay? If you need someone to be excited for you, with you, Cheryl's your girl. She does that so well and so much better than I do. Being there, swimming there is good. It was good for the eyes. It was good for the mind. It was good for my spirit, good for my soul, good for my skin. I just love it. That day, I, ju- I just jumped in with my clothes on because I couldn't wait. I'm on vacation. I can do that. Cheryl was wiser. She went back, got her bathing suit on so we could enjoy it together. And and seeing these pictures, remembering it, telling you about it, brings back feelings of satisfaction and happiness. I can't stop a little bit of grin creeping up. I really like that place. Those same pictures, that same thing, they have the potential to create in us an attachment to the present earth. The things that we look forward to, the things that we experience here on this earth, that we think, oh my goodness, that is so great. It feels like a taste of heaven. And we're willing and ready to settle for a taste. It actually has the potential for us to create and sow our lives into this present earth. It it might make even for the fear of leaving this earth behind leaving behind those things that we love as if we'll never see them again. It it makes them consume our attention. It keeps us looking forward and living towards this life, this earth. It makes us think that other experiences in this life, that's what I want, and 
somehow not the eternal heaven. So here's what's at stake. Revelation 22, 12. Look, I'm coming soon, bringing my reward with me to repay all according to their deeds. This is Jesus saying um, that how you live on earth will impact how you experience heaven. When you hear those words first, it makes you think He's waiting to punish you. He will repay you for your deeds, right? But this is not, this is not impacting on how you get to heaven. This is impacting how you will experience heaven, how you experience your rewards in heaven. Jesus taught this repeatedly. There was this one time Peter, uh, he was disturbed by the way that Jesus is teaching and Peter's listening in. He's trying to learn at the same time. But Jesus is setting such a high bar about heaven. Peter's a little worried. Jesus is confronting this wealthy, uh, highly influential young man, a man who had been blessed in power, prosperity, and prestige. And Jesus was, was laying out what the man would have to do in order to experience eternal life. The man walks away. Peter watches him walk away, and then he says to Jesus, Matthew 19, 27, Peter answered, he said, we have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Are we doing this all for nothing? 28, Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, that's when we move from this current age and into the age to come, when the Son of Man sits on His glorious throne, you who have followed Me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. 29, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for My sake, anybody who has sacrificed anything in this life for My sake, will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. And when I read that, i got to tell you, I just love the use of the term inherit. It's not win, it's not find, it's not get, it's not, not receive, it's not earn, it's inherit. You inherit from family. He's reminding us again that we have been adopted into the family of God. We are children. We are His children. We are His heirs. We are adopted children of our Father, and we will receive an inheritance from Him. This is not about how you get into heaven. This is about how you will experience heaven. And I'll tell you honestly, I am not a savvy investor, okay? But I know that a hundred times as much, a hundred X on your investment is a ridiculously good investment. If I give $100 into my investment and you give me $100, I'll do it all day. Whatever I give to live for you now, Jesus, will be returned to me 100 times in heaven. That has got to have some sort of motivation for me right now. It's a motivation if I believe it. There are all kinds of people that are running scams, right? So consider who is offering you this investment promise. Consider their character. Consider their trustworthiness. Can you trust him? Has he been faithful before? Is there a record of his faithfulness in the past? Do I believe him? 
Do I trust Him? And what would my trust look like going forward and in the right now? What are you setting your sights on right now? Some of you getting married, getting educated, having children, hoping for grandchildren, wishing for great-grandchildren. Are you setting your sights on your career? i got to get ahead. So much of the first half of your life is setting your sights on building. And the second half of your life is setting your sights on unbuilding and, and enjoying what you've built, um, the time you have left. So, so you're, you're not thinking about your career. You're, you're not trying to buy a house. You're, you're not filling your house. You're trying to empty your house, looking for ways to enjoy the time that we have left. But there is so much beyond what we can see. There is so much fulfillment in heaven that to overemphasize our pleasures in this life can lead us to making unwise or selfish decisions now that will impact our future. You live toward what you look forward to in life. Your perspective of heaven impacts how you live on earth. And how you live your life on earth impacts how you will experience heaven later. So where will you place your hope in this life right now? May we be people whose lives speak of the age to come, speak of the hope of heaven, speak of the one who sits at the center of it all, who's made it possible, who promises to raise us from the dead and experience all that we were designed, created, made to experience when He created us in the very beginning. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we come intentionally before you again right now. As a community, would you help us to see the potential of us as individuals, but, but more importantly, as a group of people living this life intentionally? What difference can it make? How do we do that together? Not just for now, not just for us. Following you makes our lives better, and it makes us better at life. May our lives point to the hope of heaven. Remind us, please, that our true, deep satisfaction comes from you, Jesus. And the most complete satisfactions that we may arrive at await us in heaven. We can experience your presence now in part, but then in full. And that is what we're setting our sights on meeting you face to face, being transformed into all that we were supposed to be, all that we ever could be, our best in your presence with others that we love around who are also experiencing this recreation and transformation. Help us to live in such a way now that we display and live out our trust in your direction. Thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.